Friday afternoon, and welcome to Let's Talk. The Pastor is In. I'm program host Kip Allen. The Pastor is In is for the Christian, the Lutheran layman who has questions, but, you know, has doesn't quite understand. You know, the programs are somewhat like me because there's a lot I don't understand. It doesn't have to be something soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been on my mind for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch talk is with a pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Pastor Mark Poyce of St. Andrew's Lutheran Church in Laramie, Wyoming. I have my questions now, and I'm sure that you have yours. You can you can get us your questions at any time by email at uh, Let's talk at kfuo.org or call in during the program if you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East. That number is area code 314-821-0850 or anywhere in the lower 48. You can call toll free at 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Preuss, welcome aboard. Hey, thank you, Kip. It's great to be back. It is indeed. I just was looking over the weather report that you have in uh, in uh, Laramie. Boy, it looks like you just had a gorgeous day today. Yeah, it has been nice, but we have 172,000 acres of forest fire burning about 40 miles west of us, so... It's kind of smoky. Yeah, yeah that's an oopsie. Uh, I've been <laughs> through a few of those when I lived in California. They are definitely not fun. Yeah, we have smoke from California, too. It's, uh, it's been not, not a good year for forest fires, that's for sure. No, it's been a terrible one. I mean, I, the one I the, the one I was in uh, that I remember most was like 120,000 acres, and that was nothing compared to what's been going on now. I know. I heard it's something like 4 million altogether in California. I mean, that's just... Well, hope we live and learn. So, <laughs> well, being human, sometimes we don't learn. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Speaking of learning, uh, you came up with a an interesting topic for today, and that is what makes a good school. Now, I'm going to have to rely on you more than on me on this because I don't have kids, so I don't know from a first-hand point of view, bringing children up and seeing what they learn or don't learn in school. So just know from my own experience. So what do you think it is that makes a good school? Well, I think that, you know, we just celebrated St. Michael and All Angels this past Sunday, and most people, I think, celebrated the Sunday before. But it's, uh, the disciples asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And uh, Jesus takes a little child, and puts him in the midst of them and says, this is the greatest thing you have heaven. And, and unless you convert and become like little children, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think that makes every Christian able to look at, see where does, where does education begin? You know, what's a good school? And, um, <clears throat> the, uh, and, and I think it primarily we need to teach God's word. We all need to learn God's word. And uh, since God created us, and he's the author of all good and the source of all good, true knowledge. Uh, learning and hearing and singing, meditating on and studying his word is the most important thing uh, for a school that I can think of. Um, so that's kind of the reason I thought of the topic is, well, for some personal reasons, but also just because I think a lot of Americans have been, I mean, school has just been thrown into a tumult in many places, um, well, throughout the country. And uh, a lot of people have had to have um, school at home and 
or do school online. And, and now even in many places, schools are limited in their capacity. Um, and uh, I'm a campus pastor too. So we have all sorts of restrictions going on with the University of Wyoming. Most of their classes are still online. And uh, so I thought, you know, it, it might be on people's minds. Well, I, I certainly can understand that. Um, but I think uh, over to over and beyond that, uh, I'm looking back over my educational experience, and uh, I think maybe there has been a very marked decline in the quality of education, at least public education. And I have to uh, really applaud the parochial schools for maintaining the standards that seem to have slipped from the uh, public schools. You see that as well? Yeah, to some extent, um, I think. I mean, I think the I think that our our Lutheran schools are, on the whole, um, better academically than the average uh, public school. Um, there are obviously exceptions, you know. Um, <clears throat> but I think that I, I I've been rethinking just the whole notion of of, of like who's, for example, whose responsibility is it primarily to teach the children. Well, that has to be, uh, I think it has to be the parents. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and what I've seen happen just culturally, um, not just in public schools, but also in parochial schools, is that the parents have less and less to do with their children's education. And uh, it's, it's uh, and I think that's a, that's a shame. Um, I think also that we've had, uh, the, the schools have become bigger and bigger uh, in many regards. So you used to have smaller schools and smaller school districts, and now we have just really large um, schools and uh, uh, huge campuses and huge sports programs. I mean, I remember when I was in Texas, the city of Allen, Texas, spent just like tens of millions of dollars on their football stadium, for example, because it was such a huge part of the, the culture, you know. Um, but I think as far as why why academics have gone down. You can see this happening all the way back into the 19th century. And when you look at tests for the eighth grade uh, in these one-room schoolhouses in in the heartland, and I think a lot of college students failed them, you know, because they were, they learned about a more concentrated, they learned a more concentrated body of knowledge uh, more intensely. And we have just, tons of different subjects, tons of different topics, and I think we learn them all a little bit more superficially. Uh, so, yeah, there's, <clears throat> there's a, um, and there are broad theories on education, too. You know, like who's, well, what's the goal of education? Well, what's, what's its purpose? Um, and then you have, uh, uh, you know, it, people have said that education is a right that children have. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know about that, because the question is, is what is education? Now, if we agreed on what education is first, then we might be able to say so. But everybody's view of education might be a little bit different. You know what I mean? Well, I think uh, the role of the school, it, it's its twofold or should be twofold. Again, bearing in mind, I don't have kids, so what do I, who, who knows what I'm talking about? Uh, first of all, is to give them basic knowledge, things that are universally true. For example, mathematics grammar, things mm -hmm. along that line. Then as they advance into maybe the middle school and certainly my high school, they need to be taught critical thinking. And uh, and that, I think, is, is something that is perhaps lacking today. And 
there's part of critical thinking, I think, is, an, is a discipline, which I hear yeah. at any rate is sadly lacking in today's public schools. Yeah, well, again, why, critical thinking is the use of your reason to solve problems, uh, uh, not only scientific and mathematical problems, but uh, moral problems, social problems, political problems. And so you would have to have um, you would have to have a goal in mind for education before you can really put the plan in place for how you're going to educate. What exactly do we want? Do we want kids who can simply work, do technical jobs, et cetera? Or do we want to teach uh, good you know, citizenship? Or do we want to raise good fathers, good mothers, good workers, good bosses? In which case, what morality is going to be taught? Is it possible to have uh, an education that is morally neutral or theologically neutral? These are the questions that have been on my mind. Well, that's, that's, I don't think it's possible. Well, that's certainly an interesting yeah. question. Uh, I, I understand that the, there will be problems in the public school systems in terms of theology and morality. There are certain basic moralities, I think, that, that transcend everything. Or even an atheist would agree to murder is wrong, for example. Lying is right. wrong. Things like along that line. Uh, but I see an erosion in certain areas. For example, how many people and teachers and students tolerate cheating? Yeah, yeah. I remember, it was it's to my shame, but uh, we got caught cheating on a math thing. Shame on you. Uh, yeah, I know. It was in eighth grade, and we got, um, well, we got suspended from the basketball team, but that was nothing. My dad, we were grounded for a long time because like a month or something like that and it was far worse at home you know the punishment was far worse at home than it was in school oh absolutely you know? i was terrified of that i mean i did i i mm -hmm. frankly i was a goody two-shoes for the most for the most part in school and it wasn't so much of that uh, uh doing what was right or what was wrong but i knew what would wait for me at home if i broke the rules that were set out for me yeah Right, right, right. Well, you had, and that's the thing, is that you had uh, a, a kind of a general standard of morality that the communities as a whole agreed to, right? So the teacher and, and, the, uh, and, the, and the parents were on the same page in many regards as far as what's right, what's wrong, what a kid can handle, what should be done, you know, how discipline was administered, you know? And um, and that has changed a lot. Well, one of the things uh, that really was impressed upon me was uh, don't do anything that would bring shame to the family. Right. And, you know, if I cheated right. or if I started a fight or something like that, it didn't just reflect upon me. It affected my family as well. And that was a that was a bigger burden than anything that I could have done on my own. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's part of the problem, you know. I, I agree to some extent that it uh, it takes a community or it takes a village. We're all social animals, so to speak, as Aristotle says. But if you don't have the parents there, then it's it's rare that you're going to bring somebody out of a situation where um, discipline and and good morals aren't being inculcated at home. 
so um yeah so it's uh i mean i if you have like i remember reading a book uh when i was a kid called the farmer boy by laura ingalls wilder she wrote all the little house on the prairie books and they had a one-room schoolhouse you know they're farmers and school would be you'd have school for a few months you know during the winter time and there was this family that had driven out every teacher by just going to school and beating them up. And that's what, yeah, that actually happened. And so the teacher would stay at different people's houses. And uh, um, the story goes that these guys came to get rid of this new school teacher who was staying at Almanzo's house. He was one of the students and he, he, uh, the teacher told the kids to do something and they didn't do it. And then they came and tried to beat him up and he pulled out a bull whip and started whipping, (laughs) whipping this kid and whipped him out of the window. And uh, later it turned out that it was Almanzo's dad who had given it to him. But uh, things have changed a lot since then. You know, Uh, it's, it's a different world and we have, we have bigger schools um, also different sets of how we handle our children. One of the things I've asked principals and teachers about, and I was a teacher myself at a, uh, Lutheran classical school for a few years is uh, what's your biggest problem? And they always say helicopter parents. Ah, so let's go. Yeah. So the hel- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what would you, when you hear that term, what do you think of a helicopter? A helicopter being? parent is the uh, parent who is always hovering over their child's shoulder. Right. Yeah. Good. And, uh, uh, and also is uh, hovering over the teachers. So, um, if a, t- if a student does something wrong, they just defend their child, regardless of the evidence that is put before them, oh, yeah. you know? So, um, or if a teacher, you know, if a student gets a bad grade, it's the teacher's fault and not that the student didn't put in the effort. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, so that's, that's one of the big problems. And again, it goes down to this, do we have a common fabric in our culture that unites us all? And um and I would say no. I would say right now we do not. And it goes beyond just, you know, murdering and lying. Because in the old days, you know, violence to a certain extent of, of punish, you know, corporal punishment and things was accepted because it was more of a familial community. You know, like now I wouldn't want a teacher to spank my kids because I don't know, you know, it's my job if, you know, if, if, if it actually came down to it. Um, but in the old days, it was just people just did that. You know, whereas now it's like, how do you actually punish what's wrong? You can't even call it punish anymore. Now they say they consequence them. <laughs> you know, they use it. They make a noun into a verb and say they consequence them <laughs> because they have to see the consequences. You can't even use the word punish because it's too mean or cruel of a word. And I can't help but think that that's because we uh, we're we're a culture that loves pleasure, you know. And so pain is the worst possible thing that can happen. Well, I'm not sure uh, that's correct. There are worse things than pain, shame and embarrassment, I think. Uh, Oh, yeah, I agree. Well, one thing I I remember from from my high school days uh, that was uh, part of the ethic there was that there were consequences to your actions. Uh, For example, if you got into a fight at school, they didn't care who started it. You were both suspended, both. The lesson being mm-hmm. that, you know, the bully started it and the other kid had the responsibility to walk away from it and didn't. And I'm, I'm, and I'm saying this from one of those kids who actually took a three-day vacation. 
<laughs> and at the time, I thought it was horribly unfair, but now I understand exactly what they were doing. There was a consequence to your action. Uh, mm -hmm. Part of that was, uh, say, for example, you got a suspension or you cut a class, and it was a test uh, a test day. You didn't get a makeup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, right. And that was the, and you cared about your, uh, you know, your grades and oh, your education. Yeah. Everything uh, from uh, whether or not you're getting into college to, hey, you know, hate to say it, this was during Vietnam. Did you want to get that student deferment? Well, got a colleague. You know, if you don't get into college, yeah. guess where you're going to be. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so you're a draft dodger. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no. The I, there were real consequences that people actually cared about. But the question is, is do we actually care about? Do we actually care about? these consequences anymore you know we should and i'm what not sure how to inculcate that into a society as you say you know there's always mm -hmm. that the, the helicopter parent says well gee it's not my fault it must be the teacher's fault certainly not my angel child right right i know and that happens that happens a lot and i think a lot of it is because um people aren't focused on the family as much you know they're not the main part of their lives um isn't the the it's we've we've moved away from our grandparents and uncles and aunts, you know, and um, we move a lot. We've always been kind of a nomadic society, but we don't have um, like you look at the suburbs, for example. Um, in the last, if you live in the suburbs, generally speaking, you moved there sometime during your life. You didn't grow up there. Oh, that's you know what true. I mean? Oh yeah. And then and then how do you actually meet people? Well, you. Um, Maybe in church, there are tons of different churches out there, you know, there uh, in different kinds of churches. Uh, what community, what community events are there? Uh, and it revolves around the school to an extent. Um, and, and then it's sports and other extracurricular curricular activities. But we don't have, we don't have that familial aspect as much anymore. And I know I always go back to this, but you, you have, when you had larger families, you had simply more experience among the people with raising kids. You just had more kids, you know? And so there was more experience. And it's, it's we just, now it's like people, they're, they're, the main part of their life is their career more than their family. And this isn't to knock anybody. I mean, obviously a career is important, but um, people are more important than, than uh, our dreams, you know, I see people that, are more but I'm, important. But I'm not sure about the size of the family. I look at my own family, for example. Uh, my mm -hmm. dad was an only child. My mother, on the other right. hand, was one of five sisters. Uh, mm -hmm. I was one of two. Uh, one of two children. My brother just passed mm -hmm. away, so I'm the last one left. Uh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, me too. But uh, but the uh, but the thing again, the, there was the the concept of family was deeply, deeply embedded in me and again as i said earlier mm -hmm. the worst thing that i could do was to bring shame on my family you know the heck with me right, that was bad right. enough but to bring shame right, right. to my parents oh lord that was just not to be tolerated yeah what i meant earlier wasn't the individual families so much as just the culture in general you know it's just been a gradual the family has overall has become less important and I think one of the reasons for it is that people don't want families as much, you know, that's, and that's, that's the, 
that was what I was saying. Not to like my, for example, my great grandparents just had two kids and they put everything they could into those two children, you know, and, um, and they turned out to be amazing, amazing people, you know, raised families and, um, fought for the truth in the church and, um, and God blesses things like that. But even then there was, there was a, this enjoyment of family enjoyment of it. I mean, look at what's happened in the last, uh, um, since COVID, the divorce rate's gone up. You know, there's been all sorts of domestic uh, abuse rising. Oh, yeah. There's all sorts of consequences. Yeah, yeah because they, they have to be around each other. When before they escaped to their jobs or to their gym or wherever it was, you know. Well, you, and, you've, uh, t- you've really touched upon something here. The the society has changed. And from the time I grew up, it was typical. You know, there there was the breadwinner. Then there was the homemaker who was in charge of bringing up the kids. The economy changed or something basically changed where now that is no longer a viable family unit. You re- almost have to have the two incomes to survive. But that brings all sorts of problems with, with child rearing. And uh, boy, I'm not sure how to get around that. I'm not sure what the answer to that is. I just know that it's different now than it was 50 years ago. I, th- I think it is different. I think that the reason is because um, we, it's, not, it's not that it's impossible to survive. It's that it's impossible to maintain the standard of living of those around you. That's what it is. So it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, if you want to keep up with the Joneses, then yeah, you got to both, both, uh, both parents have to work, you know, and then you need these schools to be, you know, kind of like, I mean, to educate your kids, of course, but to be babysitters and to watch over them. And, uh, and so the, the focus, there isn't as much, I'm very grateful. My mom stayed home and raised us. I mean, she had 12 kids. So I'm, it was a little bit more necessary, you know, um, but I'm so grateful, especially even when I was a teenager, because I came home, you know, how teenagers get all sullen and proud and, and I'm a grown man now. And, and she just always reminded me, like, no, I'm your mom, you know, I'm going to teach you, you know, respect. And, uh, and to learn that at a, at, at such a formidable age from, from my own mother, you know, from someone I knew cared about me was, was extremely influential on me, you know. That's, oh, I, just, I hear that. The rock scary. of my family was my mother. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, dad was, mm-hmm. dad was a role model, someone I looked up to. But the, uh, the dictator of the family was my mother, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> my <laughs> friends kept things going. Yeah. yeah, my friends used to uh, refer to her as De Feldwebel, You know, a, a sergeant in the German army. <laughs> mother was very Germanic. <laughs> and, <laughs> Well, I, you know, getting back to the to what makes a good school, I think that it's what makes a good family. You know, what what do you need in a family? Well, you need God's word. You need mutual respect between the father and the mother. Uh, you need uh, you need love for children. All these that you need you need a concern, a care for the children. And I, I'm I'm very sympathetic to teachers wanting smaller class sizes because, they're, and I'm not uh, the biggest fan of this Dobson guy. Um, but he does say some good things. One of the things he said, how does a child, how does a child spell love? And it's, it's T I M E It's time, you know, a child wants time with his father or mother. That's what a child wants. And so if, 
that's what we need to do in the home. And that's what we need to do in the schools. And that's why I'm all for smaller schools. I'm for smaller schools, even if that means no sports. Um, <clears throat> there, there are plenty of things for families to work together to find to do for their kids. So I have like a, I'm, I'm homeschooling right now, but I have a bunch of students um, helping me tutor my kids. And it's just wonderful. They're learning all sorts of things. And, um, and, but I take Fridays off because I want time with my kids. It's my day off. It's Friday. And so today, after I'm done talking to you, we're going to go up and saw down some logs in the mountains and for my brother, who's building a log garage, Wow! you know? And so they're, yeah. So they're just really, I mean, this is, this is the kind of stuff kids want to learn how to do, you know, and especially the boys, they want to show their strength and, and, uh, and they're going to learn, they're going to, they're going to be helpers, of course, you know, bringing the hammer and things like that. But <clears throat> to be around good, healthy, um, good, healthy activities is I think the most important aspect besides learning the reading, writing, arithmetic, and, and the wonderful knowledge of, uh, of first the word of God and other of the arts and things like that. But you, you actually are occupied doing worthwhile things. And I think sports is worthwhile. I think it's an extremely important thing um, <clears throat> to keep kids out of trouble, you know, idle hands of the devil's workshop. And then you get, you know, I know as, as a, as a boy, boys like to compete hard with each other. They, they rough up against each other, you know, oh, yeah. and without, you know, without, and, and you can do it without hating another person, you know? And uh, so b- being able to have things like that is great, but I don't know how we can do that in a community. So we will on a Sunday afternoon, pick a park and just get a bunch of guys and their older kids and go play kickball or football or soccer. And then they just, they, they learn, you know? Um, Cause I think we've talked about this in the past too, is in the old days, there used to be neighborhood sports, you know, oh, yeah. go to the sandlot, play baseball and stuff like that. And uh, the only thing that I, you can still find it somewhat um, like basketball courts, for example, in the city, you can just go up and play a game, pick up basketball and that's wonderful, but schools, uh, schools that are so huge, you could be on a basketball team with a kid who lives, you know, way far away from you. You can't go ride your bike to his house. You can't go meet in some park and go do something on a Saturday. You got to get your mom to drive you, you know, and and that's where I think is is another chief thing that we need that needs to be inculcated in children is just the the, the responsibility to use your freedom in a good way, in a, in a, in a, in a productive way, in a healthy way. And, uh, and I, I just, I think it works better in a, on a smaller scale. I'm, I'm pretty biased, but I think that's the way it was done in times past. Like when in the history of the world did we put hundreds of kids, hundreds of little children and teenagers um, in the same room with each other, place with each other for eight hours a day? You know, like when in the history of the world have we done this? And you get, and then you get, and, and, and there's going to be conflict and conflict is always resolved better when you have adults who really know the children, you know, well, hold, who, on, who hold really that know thought, them. hold that thought, because we got to take a break here. And I think you've really hit upon something here with this concept of conflict. So many people now think conflict is wrong. I'm not sure that's the case. Let's talk about it at the, when you come back. Mm-hmm. 
on this Friday, October 9th, 2020. KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, Rod and Phyllis Silger of Hoyleton, Illinois. Rod and Phyllis made a gift to KFUO in celebration of their 49th wedding anniversary. Rod and Phyllis were married on this day in 1971. And in thanksgiving to the Lord for the blessing of their three grandchildren, Hannah, Sophie, and Spencer, all to the glory of God. Thank you, Rod and Phyllis Silger, for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 715 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. When I look at the x-ray of your funny bone, it seems that everything is a-okay. Medical research has proven laughter helps you both emotionally and physically. Wrestling with the basics on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. are on demand. We've been putting the fun in the fundamentals for over 30 years. Over 30 years? Oh, don't put too much strain on your funny bone. Nine out of ten doctors agree. It's less painful than getting a flu shot. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination, equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio, or anytime on KFUO.org, or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. The Biblia Latina dates back to 1462. It's a Latin Bible on display at Museum of the Bible. It's also known as the Johann Fust and Peter Schoffer Bible. This beautifully illuminated Bible retains its original leather binding, metal decorations, and chain, and carries a remarkable history rarely talked about. Johann Fust was the original financier of Gutenberg's famous Bible, printed around seven years earlier. For reasons still unclear, Fust sued Gutenberg for the return of his money, resulting in the court ordering Gutenberg's printing equipment to be turned over to Fust. Partnering with Schoffer, Gutenberg's former apprentice, Fust then produced the Biblia Latina, which also was the first complete Bible to include a printer's mark. The success of the printing press is seen in early printed works by Johann Fust and Peter Schoffer. Among them, this Biblia Latina. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, good afternoon and welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen, and my pastor today is Pastor Mark Price from St. Andrew's Lutheran Church in Laramie, Wyoming. And we're discussing what makes a good school, what makes a good teacher, what's involved in that. If you have some thoughts, we'd love to hear them. Give us a call if you're in the St. Louis area at area code 314-821-0850 or in the lower 48 toll free at 800-730-2727. You can also email a question in to letstalk at kfuo.org. Pastor Price, welcome back. Sorry here for the break, but we have to do that every so often. We were talking about conflict earlier. Um, you know, life is conflict. And this is one thing I think 
students need to know, children need to learn uh, how to resolve the conflict. Yeah, it's, it's not coming out with your fists, it's, it's different ways to do it. Uh, competition, again, I think that's a good thing. And I know that the modern thought is, well, gee, you know, there's gonna, a loser's going to feel bad. Well, yeah, that may be the case, but you know, that means that that loser is going to work harder next time. Uh, and you know the old saying is, you know, when everyone's special, no one is. And uh, this is something that the schools can do, and I think perhaps they are not. Uh, you also talked about morality. There are certain basics that we have discussed before. For example, as we said, you know, murder, uh, theft, things along that line that that we can all agree on, and that that. Those are moral issues that society agrees on. This is wrong. Problem is, is that now schools are starting to get involved in uh, areas that are not so clear cut. They become uh, social engineering things. Everything from uh, uh, unwed uh, un uh, single parents and you know unwed uh, students who are pregnant. Now they've got uh, daycare centers and schools for the for the for the students to. Uh, teaching about homosexuality, LGBTQ, uh, various other things as well, that where the morality is not clear-cut, there's definitely dispute on this thing. And that I think the school should stay away from. That's where, that's where the family, that's where the church comes in, into play. Yeah, uh, this is the issue, is that there's no such thing as a theologically neutral education. You're never going to have a, a neutral ground um, you're going to be inculcating uh, different values, and, and it's going to be dependent on what you believe about uh, man, about sin, about God, about forgiveness, uh, all sorts of things like that. So, for example, I mean, conflict, uh, the greatest conflict that ever happened was on the cross, as it, um, we sing, sorry, I got a bee buzzing around me, um, death and life have contended in that combat stupendous, right? The prince of life who died reigns immortal. Christ overcame the devil. And the devil is the author of all uh, evil conflict. You know, I'm not talking about uh, two, two boys running, you know, and trying, one trying to beat the other, but, but envy and uh, selfish ambition and jealousies and uh, wrath and all these things that the Bible calls works of the flesh. These are going to manifest themselves in every relationship that you have, whether it is uh, between a husband and a wife or parents and their children or children with other children or parents with teachers, and it just the list goes on. The question is, is how are we as Christians to teach our children to resolve conflict that is bad? And the way that you begin with is the forgiveness of sins. We are at conflict with God by nature. We don't trust in him. The Bible says that we were enemies with God, that we are born children of wrath like the rest of mankind, and that it is only the grace of God that teaches us this undeserved love that loves us when we didn't love him, uh, where we see that Christ overcame our sin and the devil who deceived us and leads us into all these evil conflicts. Only when we see Christ as our Lord over everything, working out everything for our good, will we have hearts that are willing to forgive, to look past the kind of light sins that we see other people commit instead of holding grudges and hating. 
And I don't see how this is possible in a school where the gospel is forbidden. You're going to have to rely on just the works of the law entirely upon and only upon punishments and rewards. Whereas the gospel is given to you and you believe it, uh, not because not because you've done something to earn it, but because uh, God is love, because he gave his son to die for you. So that's where I, <clears throat> I'm finding it harder and harder to imagine um, a, a secular school where there is a common morality, because there's going, there are going to be differences. And even the word secular, it just means worldly in, in the Latin. And, and the world is always full of her religions. So it's, I, I, I would push against any, any notion that uh, a society can maintain a common morality, a common standard of resolving conflict among children in schools um, when, when they have disparate and different religions. And I think that's really at the heart of the issue, which is why I'm so for Lutheran schools. I think you're, you really had a point there. Uh, Lutheran schools obviously are a wonderful, uh, wonderful alternative. Homeschooling is an option. There are other options as well. Uh, but the fact is, is that the majority of people do not have access to the Lutheran schools or to the homeschooling. So how do we balance that with the secular school system? Uh, I think there are a number of ways well, we can. Again, it's through the family, where, where this is taught through the family. Uh, it is taught through the mm -hmm. churches. I know when I was, uh, when I was growing up, uh, uh, the LCMS had what was called the Walther League at the time, which was heavily in, in, which young people were heavily involved in. Regrettably, I don't think we have a similar organization now. I know there are some problems with it later on, but it was such a valuable experience for me to you can you can have those extracurricular things i i understand it. it is valuable to get lutherans together people of the same the issue is though that things are a lot different we you can have those big youth groups but studies have shown that they don't really help that much they're not nearly as powerful as schools as far as as far as teaching and indoctrinating and like i mean at the school you can't at at, at 90 percent 90 90 to 99 percent of public schools in america if you speak against homosexuality in a class, you will be silenced. You will be silenced to, because they teach. They teach in their health classes and everywhere that it is just as healthy a behavior as marriage, as, as marriage between a man and a woman. That's a religion. That's a religion in the public schools. So it's not merely you know, having other activities that, 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 counter, that countermand or counteract uh, what they're being taught at the schools, it's that in the schools themselves, they're being taught a different religion than the Christian religion. And that's, that's, my, that's my point, and, I, and I'll, I'll stand by that, too. Well, it's a secular religion, and I, I agree with you on that. I see it all the time. All you yeah. have to do is to do a little bit of surfing on the social media, and you'll see that. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the most important lessons I got in high school was in the... Uh, uh, can't recall if the civics or current events class, one of those things. But we had uh, organized debate. And what we had to do was to defend topics with which we disagreed. Right. And that's a critical thinking thing that you brought up earlier. Absolutely. Absolutely. The idea right. wasn't so much to convince a person to that particular point of view, but to understand how they arrived at it. And that equips right. you with the tools to counter it. 
you have to be able to walk in another person's shoes. And I think there is, there's an argument to be made where like, Hey, we're in the world. We have to deal with the world as it is. Um, however, the, the result of, of most, I mean, most kids aren't going to stay in the faith. Um, no, uh, most kids who are confirmed in the Lutheran church aren't going to stay in the faith because they're being taught what an hour a week, um, for, uh, uh, a portion of two years and uh, the Christian religion, they very likely don't have any home devotions at home, but they're being taught countless hours from the time that they're kindergarten, maybe even preschool, all the way through high school, the secular religion. And so even if you have a youth group or, you know, Walter League or something like that, uh, or, you know, some good civic activity, it, it isn't, I mean, just as, as, as far as the sheer volume of education that the children are getting, it, it, it overcomes it, you know, and you have to be very strong. You know, the path, I know, I know some good Christian parents who, I mean, I sent my kids to the public school, you know, and I know it's, it's very hard. And this is where I think that I'm, even though people don't have the option, many people don't have the option. We need to start thinking about, Hey, what's worth more, our children and their education or our lifestyle and our comforts in life. What's worth more? Lot went to Sodom because he chose Sodom because it was more beautiful. And Abraham said, hey, you choose. Which way do you want to go? And he chose the more beautiful place. And when he left Sodom, he had converted not a single person. They had tried to kill him. And his wife died because she was an unbeliever. And his daughters were unbelievers. And it's not like this happens in every circumstance, but I think the scripture puts it, um, puts it uh, in there for us to realize, hey, we shouldn't be too um, certain about our own ability to resist temptation and to resist the power of the world. And that's why I say, hey, let's get together. Let's, let's, as much as you can, um, as much as we can, let's, let's rethink things. And that's where I think... We could go back to, you know, one-room schoolhouses. We could go back to, uh, we can go back to, um, I mean, I think homeschooling is extremely hard because it usually always falls upon the woman. And, uh, um, and, and, and the man is, you know, it's working and, and there isn't, uh, uh, there's just isn't enough time in the day to do what needs to be done. And also you, kids need other kids, you know, like there need, there needs to be that to some extent. So, but I, as far as, as far as the, um, just a second, um, as far as how we have, you know, how do we deal with, if we have to send our kids to public school, we just simply have to be vigilant. Remember the most important thing about education is to teach our kids the word of God. Nothing else matters when it comes down to it. Our kids are going to be fine if they have God's word. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but Jesus' words won't pass away. And so that needs to be our greatest focus, um, and then things like resolving conflict, that just happens naturally. Um, people, people learn to forgive. They learn to consult God's word. I mean, just read the Proverbs. I read like five or six chapters of Proverbs yesterday, and I was just put to shame. What a fool I am for, for having disregarded such good wisdom in my life, you know? And if we were to teach things like that, I mean, I just, in the early founding fathers too, even though a lot of them weren't Christians, they commended the study of the scriptures in the school. 
You know, like they just, they, they, they said, read this, even just for morality's sake, they said, it's a really great thing to do. And I think that once we, once that was forbidden in, when was that, the 60s? Yeah, I believe it was, uh, early 60s. Yeah. Um, did you go to a public school? I went to a public school for uh, for uh, junior high and senior high. I went to Lutheran schools at elementary. Oh, okay. So in junior high and senior high, did you have uh, scriptural instruction, or when when I know you're what are you just seventy? How old are you? Yeah, I'm in my seventies. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. I'm one of them old for. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound like it. You yeah. sound young. So, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, the, no, we did not have. Thought... <laughs> No, we did not have uh, any any uh, theologic training at all in uh, junior or senior high. I did take a course uh, once in college uh, where the Bible was taught, but from a uh, literature point of view, not from spiritual. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I really, I mean, what what is the most important thing for not for for a country, uh, and not just for the family or for a congregation, but for for a country. What does a country need? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Therefore, be wise, O kings, and be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And so I just, I, I can't seem, I, I don't, I'm not able to see a solution apart from the word of God. And if the word of God is forbidden in these schools, then how is how is, um, I mean, how is there to be any change? You know, how, how is it? I mean, we can manage a few things, but how, is, how are things going to change? Well, one thing to bear in mind is that from the beginning of Christianity, the Word of God has always been suppressed. From the mm-hmm. Roman Empire to, uh, to uh, the Islamic uh, rule to uh, the religious wars of the Middle Ages and what have you, there always has been a movement to suppress the Word of God. And yet, it has always survived. What does that say? Yeah. I think it says that Christians, especially in time of persecution, cling to the Word of God more tightly and more dearly. Um, and that we, as a culture, have taken it for granted. And that's why we're losing. I mean, I think the church is always never going to perish. But look at Europe. What percentage are Christians? And have yeah. we become too tolerant? Well, it's yeah, tolerant of what you know. I mean, I'm okay with. Uh, I love debate, and um, we obviously can't force anybody to believe anything. But we used to have blasphemy laws in the United States. You know, we used to have. But some are still actually on the books. Um, they're not enforced, of course, mm-hmm. but we had we had we had actual. There were certain things that we wouldn't tolerate, and I think that the freedom of speech, while it seems like a beautiful thing, well, look at look at what's happening now. People, the people who who are who are really pushing their secular religion, they don't want freedom of speech. They want to silence anybody who speaks against their views, and they call they're calling it hate speech and yeah. all sorts of things like that. You know, yeah, that kind of so activism I, is very dangerous. Uh, yeah, now, I, mm-hmm. I have some, I have gay friends, uh, mm-hmm. but they don't try to convince me that what they are doing is right. They don't push it on me. Mm-hmm. They know how I right. feel about it, where I think about it, and 
we can still get along. Uh, it's, it's sometimes I have to sit up and think, what do I think about it? Because uh, I say I have gay friends or people I like and admire, but mm-hmm. they're involved in something that I simply cannot condone. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of friends who do things that I don't condone. We love them, you know. I mean, you don't even need to focus on, just, you know, homosexuality. You can look at sex outside of marriage, you know, or uh, or um, drunkenness or partying or whatever, whatever you want to say, you know. And I was reading the Proverbs yesterday, as I said, and it, it really struck me because um, I think it's happened to all of us where, but it's it's the Bad company corrupts good morals, which is actually from um, First Corinthians. But there are tons of proverbs along the same vein. And I got thinking about it because we were, my kids were learning Aesop's fables. And uh, Aesop had, has a fable about uh, a deer who is sick. And he has a bunch of food laid up next to him. And, uh, and then all the deer come. And they start eating his food, and then he dies not from his sickness, but from from a lack of nourishment. And that's what happens when you have, you know, when you allow. It's good to be loving to people. Obviously, it's good to be tolerant of them. But eventually, the the the, the bad company will they'll kind of take away the good in your life if you follow what they do. And uh, and so it's a hard thing, and that that's a hard thing to balance. You know, to be loving. Um, and willing to talk and have good relationships. You know, I think the relationship between Scalia and Ginsburg was exemplary in many regards. Um, but this brings us back to the school. Like, um, where did, there was a, an old Mad Magazine <clears throat> cartoon that I read when I was a teenager, but it was an old one because it was up in the, it was up in the cabin at the lake. And it said, where did you learn um, where did you learn the birds and the bees? And it was like point, it was like 0.2% said from mom and dad. And then 98.8% or 99.9% or 8% was from Marvin in the schoolyard, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> and so, right. So, and that's like, you don't want to learn that from Marvin in the schoolyard. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I, remember, <laughs> I remember telling my parents uh, <laughs> in their later years, I said, why did you teach me about the birds and the bees? I could learn that in the locker room. I'd rather have known about mutual funds. Yeah. <laughs> mutual <laughs> funny. <laughs> Tell me. All right, kid. All right, son. I have a very important thing to talk to with you about today. Mutual funds. <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> <laughs> that is good, you know, teaching. But it's you know, it's it's hard. I, I think as Christians, wherever you are out there, you got kids in the public school, you got kids elsewhere. You pray and you keep God's word on your mouth and in your heart. You make sure that Jesus' name is spoken in your home. You know, that you that you you should lead by example. And if you have that, then yeah, I I Christians have endured I mean, look at communism. They took, they would take, they would take the father. The father would um, uh, deny, deny Christ to the communists. The mother wouldn't and would never see her kids again. The father would deny Christ to the communists. And then the kids would be taken away from them, from him anyway. Mm. And they would be indoctrinated in other things, you know? 
And imagine, you know, like we still have in America the freedom to teach our kids God's word. That, that, I mean, try doing it in communist China. Try doing it in Cuba. Try doing it in, 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 in a lot of places. You, I mean, in, in, you can't even homeschool in Germany. It's illegal. It is made illegal in, in uh, France. So you have the freedom to teach your kids God's word. Are you doing it? Are you teaching them about Jesus? Are, are you teaching them about, about Solomon, about David, about the fall into sin? About, are you teaching them about the, uh, why the temple was destroyed? Are you teaching them about how weak the apostles were, even though they thought they were strong? Are you teaching them about the forgiveness of sins? Are you humbling yourself before God, and showing mercy to your children because God has shown mercy to you? Or are you just, you know, are we, are, is the world overtaking us, weighing us down with the cares and pleasures and riches of this life so that we have no fruit to give to our kids to eat? You know, this is, this is what, you know, no matter what circumstance you're in, and, and as far as schooling your children, cling to God's word, ask God for more of it, beg your pastor for more knowledge, read the Bible, search the scriptures, sing hymns with your kids, and, and have devotions with your spouse. That's, uh, that's what I say. Do not, you know, now is the time. Soon the days will be coming when you, this will not be so easy. And, You're absolutely and right about that. We have taken it for granted. You're absolutely so, right about that. Uh, this upcoming election is going to be so vital, I think, to the future of religious liberty. People should know what the issues are. They should know who stands for what. And uh, if you look mm-hmm. at some of the uh, records, it can be frightening. Uh, Pastor, we're coming yeah. up to the last minute of the program. Any final thoughts? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I know it was a topic I brought up, but I encourage all of you Christians to teach your children God's Word and to find other Christians who want to do the same and to gather together and, and learn from each other. And if bad company corrupts good morals, good company supports them. But it begins with us, each one of us, you individually, that you cherish the Word of God, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and so that you trust in Jesus. You find mercy in Him and forgiveness in Him for your sins so that you can give that to your children because that's the strongest power there is. That's the power that breaks a hard heart and turns mean people into into compassionate people and lazy people into diligent people and failures into what God at least calls a success. Amen. Amen to that. Well, I want to thank you again, Pastor Price, for being on the program. You've, as always, you have raised some interesting topics and you have some your insight, I think, is invaluable to this thing. And it's it's important, I think, that we have the view, point of view both from the ordained you and from the layman me. Because, you know, I have the questions, you have the questions. Maybe together we can find the answers. So thank you once again. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In. A weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.